gentlemen jack michael now follows a public apology from the desk of adam when i was around 21 22 i was working in a pub and a gentleman used to come into that pub called wayne wayne used to speak with great passion and verve and dynamism about prince and i'm ashamed to say that i was sometimes dismissive and by sometimes i mean it was completely dismissive I now realise that, having listened to Purple Rain in its entirety a lot, I now realise that I was wrong to feel this way. I was wrong to call him a sex dwarf. I was wrong to write off his entire oeuvre as simply the noise, ooh, over some increasingly funky backgrounds. I realise now I was wrong. And Wayne, I apologise. All those times that you said to me, Ed, thing about him is, he locked himself in his Ted's basement and taught himself to play all the instruments. And I went, hmm. And the time that he said, Ed, thing is, people were coming to him and they'd audition for his band and if they couldn't play the instrument better than he could, he'd say, nah. And I went, hmm. And I wrote those stories off as apocryphal. And to be honest with you, I still sort of believe that he probably just spread them himself. But it doesn't matter because Purple Rain was great. Wayne, I apologise. I was wrong. Prince, it seems, is brilliant. And I realised I was judging him because I saw the film Purple Rain, which really is crap. As Mike is going to talk at some length about. Wayne, I'm sorry. Now begins the listening party. Dearly beloved, dig if you will this podcast. Oh, man. What a what a joy it is to hear you say those words. I've, been, I've genuinely been looking forward to talking to somebody about it. I keep going up to men at work going, have you heard Purple Rain? And they tend to say things like, uh, yeah, at the time. That's not what I want to hear. That's not what I want to hear. What I want to hear is, yeah, I've been listening to it religiously for the last fortnight. Because I have. Yeah, I, I, I would have thought every man, you know, of sound mind would just say, of course, Adam, I've had it on heavy rotation since 1995. Well, I've got to say, like in all of these that um, that we've done, with the honourable exception of Cat Stevens, this is the only one of somebody else's picks where I've genuinely not really listened to anything else because it's always a pleasure to slap it on. Cat Stevens and Prince have been have been a revelation <laughs> to me. Although two artists I, were poo-pooed. I, I didn't. I didn't really poo-poo Cat Stevens. I did poo-poo Prince. I completely did. Um, I thought the thing where he wrote "slave" on his face meant that he was a tosser. <laughs> I now think he could be a tosser and a genius. Well, the thing is, when he wrote "slave" as well, some say now that he was very much ahead of um, the times in terms of getting artists' rights away from them company men at the record labels. Because he was that was when he was in dispute with Warner Bros. But white get... men in suits, as we've said before, have steered the ship steadily <laughs> for many a year. Right or wrong. <laughs> yes. At least rightly or wrongly, they were always consistent. 
So we probably should say welcome to the listening party of Adam and Mike and this very excited man across the party from me remains Adam. I am still humbly Mike. We are men of no consequence, but we are here today. I'm here to tell you there's something else. It's Prince and Revolution's apocalyptically wonderful Purple Rain. It's so good. It's so good. I'll tell you a couple of things I like about it. One, nine songs. Perfect. Hmm. Two, 40 minutes. In and out. No fuss, no muss. Secondly, every song is a jam. Oh, yeah. There's a, I think, there's, I think, um, like, Baby I'm a Star maybe isn't as genius as some of the others, but it's still great. Mm. I think um, it does, maybe it suffers a little bit from the whole, you know, with massive classic albums where you've got two of his all-time biggest hits yeah. and undisputed masterpieces in When Doves Cry and the title track and maybe some of the others lose a little of their shine in comparison, but not really. It's brilliant. Every note of it is brilliant. So, uh, Wendy, yes, Lisa. <laughs> is the water warm? <laughs> yes, it is, Lisa. <laughs> yes, please. Bag on a little Steve Tobolowsky then. Yes, it <laughs> is, Lisa. Yeah, and because I assume Stephen Tobolowsky was in the revolution, was he not? <laughs> you believe he was? <laughs> Playing Wendy, I think. Yes, I believe so, yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Wendy. Wendy, the water's lovely, Lisa. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> the water's Lake Minnetonka. So, come, come purify yourself. <laughs> so you, this is the first out yeah. and out Prince album you've listened to. Absolutely. The first Prince I I saw Purple Rain, the film, with you years ago. Yes, we did uh, it in a double bill with Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. What an afternoon. I know that we spent much of the film doing vague impressions of sort of Mel Brooks. <laughs> Mel Brooks, <laughs> Carl Reiner is his... Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Brooks-Reiner axis of both two men desperately trying to insert jokes into Purple Rain. <laughs> And, Come and, on, Prince! You gotta, you gotta act more confused. <laughs> and then you tell her to go in the lake, and she doesn't have to go in the lake. It's a classic confusion gag. Come on, Prince! They'll be rolling in the aisles. <laughs> so that's my prevailing memory of it, uh, other than the noise. Oh, which, in fairness, he does do a lot of. I think what happened was I watched Purple Rain, which is shit. And I, I remember you telling me about what's his other films? Is it Under a Cherry Moon or something? Under the Cherry Moon, yes. Where he and I just... remember you telling me in the first year at university that your lecturer had used it as an example for one of the worst films ever made, saying, This is what if people turn something in black and white, it doesn't automatically make it art. That being said, his, his example before that to show something beautiful, which is uh, maligned, was Triumph of the Will. So I just. So he's like, that is how you make brilliant black and white cinema. Okay, are we supposed to sit in the Kuwait for <laughs> yeah. the Nazi yeah. rally with Under the Cherry Moon? I think he was just, you know, a fearless thinker. He was Dr. Andrew Husey of Manchester. What a, what a thinker. Wrote, wrote, uh, he, did, he did a great documentary on pies once, the BBC. Terrific. But I think what I did there was write him off as, As a man who just puts things in black and white because it's arty. Yeah, a man of no consequence. 
whose artistic reputation had been overblown by men called Wayne, who used to bore the arse off me in pubs. What, really? I mean, I, in fairness to him, I should have said, look, Wayne, I don't want to listen to anything that was released in 1985 because I'm listening exclusively to Waits, Walker and Bowie. Which is a pretty solid triumvirate. It is. Um, but Imagine was, if you'd included Prince in that. I was the poorer... F- I mean, well, I mean, the three of them didn't really trouble funk. I mean, Bowie tried occasionally, but... Yeah, he had his dabbles. Yeah, he dabbled, but I think Prince was fairly, fairly mired in funk. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He's... Purple Rain has been an absolute revelation to me. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I, I think I got into Prince properly about 12 years ago. I remember very vividly it's when I first moved to London, which was 2009. Um, and I just hit him hard for about a year. And I, I did. I went back and listened to all the studio. I can't claim to be an absolute Prince authority because... I don't think anybody is except well, there's Prince so much himself. out there. There's so many remixes, B-sides and stuff. And there was so there's so much just official content yeah i i've i've just i've done the studio albums and that's it that was a basically what i like and for as much as there's the genius on there you got purple rain you got the album 1999 around the world in a day basically most stuff you put in the 80s is incredible mm. there is then a lot of forgettable filler verging on dreck I mean, right i mean especially the album he made after he got released finally from the Warner Brothers contract, Emancipation, which is three hours long, three discs. Ooh. The only song I can remember from it is a cover of Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. Oh, dear. Dear, oh, dear. It's making me feel bilious. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of 90s stuff post Most Beautiful Girl in the World through to early 2000s was just... So, so one he, one the other. he and Bowie had... Equally poor nineties. Hmm. It's um, it wasn't even necessarily poor music. It was just incredibly forgettable music for me, anyway. Well, Maybe I, I heard it. Now. I think I was still reading like Q and stuff at the time, and I remember his. I don't even know what album it was, but I remember it being described as sort of just another forgettable voyage into sort of jazz funk. Yeah, his um, back catalogue is intimidatingly vast. It, it is, but also, like I say, there's so much in there, but there's so much in, genius in there, you know, Purple Rain aside, but he's got so many great songs, including some which I think never get looking as well. There's a, there's a song off his, I think his second album, which I believe is self-titled, and there's a beautiful song on it called um, When We're Dancing Close and Slow. It's this very timid piano ballad, um, and it's one of the loveliest... Um, just intimate love songs I think ever created and no one Ooh. ever mentions it and I genuinely think it's it's definitely his first masterpiece and it's a, it's a masterpiece of a romance song shall we do a bit of context oh please because I don't know any of it right Purple Rain by Prince and Revolution Prince's sixth studio album, preceded by 1999, the year before. The fact that this, this is his sixth album. The thing that defines him, you know how so often it's like the opening one? Mm. 
And then, in some cases, it's diminishing returns after that. That puts him up there with like the absolute creme de la creme. Oh, yeah. And the fact that the album before us was 1999, which has at least, well, it's got Little Red Corvette on it, Delirious, 1999. So, so you've got three world famous songs on three that. Three total bangers, yeah. Yeah. And there's other great songs. Like another great song is Something in the Water Does Not Compute, which I really think you'd enjoy. I mean, I probably would, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, when that's a preceding, I mean, this this was the album that took him to like mega stardom. This was his Bowie Does Let's Dance album doing Purple Rain. Yeah. This is where it is like, yeah, Prince became not just fame, famous musician, Prince, but icon of the 80s, dude. His so if anyone, <laughs> Yeah, basically. He's every anyone, single one of the Beatles albums. Yep. For anyone wondering who the revolution are, they are. Stephen Tobolowsky. Yep, Stephen Tobolowsky on guitar and vocals. Uh, no, it's actually Wendy Melvin on guitars and vocals. Brian Mark on bass and vocals. Lisa Coleman on keyboards, pianos and vocals. Matt Doctor Fink on keyboards and vocals. And Bobby Z on drums with Prince up front on guitar, vocals and piano. And basically whatever he goddamn well pleased to play. Well, apparently he could play just absolutely everything. Apparently so. And, and, and to an incredibly high standard. Yes, to a sickening degree. He literally could play every instrument. What an I mean, amazing I, man. I mean, it's it's kind of shocking that he even just decided to have a band around. It's almost, it's almost some sign of benevolence to say, oh, I got this completely. But it might, yeah, help, yeah. Rain, it might help rein me in a bit to work with some... Maybe I could bounce me. a few ideas off you. Because apparently that's what happened with When Doves Cry. They released it with a bass line. And then yes. well, when the, the revolution went, eh, is, is that, I think it was better before. Well, that, that's the thing, because he plays all of the instruments on his own on When Doves Cry. And then it's somewhere in my notes, but he, he had someone come into the studio and they said, what he played it and he looked really down. They said, Prince, what, you're playing this incredible song. Why do you look so upset? He's like, because I really want to take the bass line off it, but I can't take the bass line off it. They literally just said, if you think it sounds better, you just, just do it. Because it does sound better. Just fuck it. And I never, until I read that anecdote, I never picked that up. It's like, yeah, when does Craig doesn't have a bass on it. Yeah, it's weird, isn't most, it? Most virtually all Prince songs do, because he's terribly funky with it. Because he's so goddamn funky. Goddamn funky with it. Um, yes, so officially, Purple Rain is actually... The soundtrack to the film of the same name. So the film actually mm. came first, and so Purple Rain is officially a soundtrack. It's not, not though, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think more people remember the song than the film. Mm. Yes. Whereas the 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 album is what what have I got here? Um, Multi platinum. Was it at nineteen times? Oh no, twenty five million copies that sold worldwide I'd, I'd call the film a bit more of a cult favourite <laughs> you couldn't bring yourself to say classic could you cult favourite a cult film <laughs> because that's what it is Ad, a film it's, it, look hey nobody's denying it's a film it's a, it, uh, you know, in the, the official sense of the word <laughs> there's a camera there's some people pretending to be other people it's got everything it's, you need it's feature length it's uh there's enough dialogue for it not to just be a one big music video. Which, in fairness, really might have been preferable. Because from what I remember, the music sequences are really good. As you'd expect. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, they're the best part of a film featuring Prince. Yeah. Um, the, the album itself was at the time considered more pop-orientated than its pre- his previous work, and it still includes elements of psychedelia, synths, drum machines, full band performances, funk guitar, and so on. It was his first number one album on the Billboard 200, where it stayed for 24 consecutive weeks. And when Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy went to number one, the title track only went to number two in the US, and I Would Die For You went to number eight. And when Doves Cry sparked controversy for the video, which I watched again the other day, and I couldn't see why, other than an opening shot of him in the bathtub in a suggestive yeah. shot. Uh, I couldn't the rest really of... see what anybody objected to with this album, except possibly Darling Nikki. I, I mean, yeah, it's quite quite clearly their discussion of masturbating with magazine in a hotel lobby, which, I mean, I, I would clutch my pearls at that. The only thing I couldn't tell about that song was whether or not Nicky is supposed to be a professional or an enthusiast. That, I felt, was unclear. I suppose that maybe she just loves her work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think she made him sign on the dotted line. I don't know. Well, we'll get into that, as he did he. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Darling Nicky actually helped bring about the, uh, the introduction of the parental advisory stickers. So... Yes, Tipper Gore took against it, didn't she? Yes, yes, Tipper Gore, wife of Al Gore. A grown woman whose name is Tipper. Yep. Isn't that the name of a cartoon squirrel? I can't actually think of any of the Tippers I know. Not that I know, but just off the top of my head. I I can think of Tippy Hedron. That's not the same, though, is it, Adam? It's not the same. It's not the same. It's a different name. Different name, Adam. Adam. See? It's not the same. Put an O in it. It's not. Different letters, different name. (laughs) <laughs> like, I've, no. like I've always said. Oh. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Different letters, different name. Yeah, so it, you so, would assume he was at this album meant that he was very, very wealthy for the rest of his life, you'd assume. Oh, I mean, he, he managed to go and build the Paisley Park compound off the back of the sales of this, which uh, I believe features two stages. Uh, state-of-the-art at the time recording studio, various floors, you know, accommodation, but a, a multiplex probably. Uh, and Walls, actual, roofs, floors. A, a, an actual shitting vault. So, you know, as we spoke about on the Bowie podcast, the vault, you know, even when, even recently with Alan Vega, oh, this is a new album out of the vault. Yeah, but it usually means it's some CD somewhere or a master tape in a box. Prince had an honest-to-God fucking physical vault. Which they, yeah. had, which they had to break into when he died. To got to admire that. Yeah, and there probably would have been an ice machine with smoke ice and stuff and lasers. Of course there would. Yeah. Of course there would. And Why it would you open up and say, dearly beloved, we are gathered here. Yep, all that jazz. And you open the door and it's full of that, you know, that therapist. You know the one. Doctor, it'll be all right. They were in the vault. Yeah. And skeleton marimbas. No, different vault. Okay, that, that's a that's a. Vault. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was a it, an altogether more playful vault. I, I do like the thought of him finishing off a record, hitting eject on the on the cassette because I assume it was cassette for at least a portion of this portion of this, and then opening his vault. Huge doors open. Then he just carefully files them in shoeboxes on the shelves. What a lovely image. Does he get to the vault in some kind of slide contraption like they do in the Adams family? 
Uh, no, I imagine he pulls a statue and there's a fireman's pole, like in Batman. Okay. And again, Does... everything is labelled, like Prince Slide, Prince Shelf, <laughs> Prince Vault. Yep, it won Grammys for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a Duo or Group and Best Score Soundtrack. The title track won the Best Original Song at the Oscars, which I actually didn't know. No, I didn't, but all of this is justified. Oh, yeah. And it's regularly regarded as one of the best albums ever. Rolling Stone voted it number eight on their 500 of all time list. And I mean, it's been Rolling also... Stone's lists can absolutely get fucked. Oh, they, they can. Their lists are dreadful. However, this is really good. So, you know, uh, and a, it has... a stopped clock is right twice a day. And it has been added to the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry. Again, absolutely fair enough. Yeah. Um, and the meaning of the title, as Prince said, when there's blood in the sky, red and blue equals purple. Purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith for God guide you through the purple rain. Game blouses. It's a bit of a Dave Chappelle show reference there. It's um, much like Bowie and many other artists of their calibre, a lot of what they say will be bollocks. You just have to stand there and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just have to make appreciative <laughs> nodding noises uh -huh. and yeah. pretend to write it all down. Ooh. Play, play your song now, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. Yes. Um, other people did also mention it's a phrase used in uh, the band America's Ventura Highway. I love that song. Ventura Highway in the sunshine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, nearly all of the songs were written by Prince and Prince alone. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there is a, a revolution around happening around him. Who's uh, telling you? Who's saying otherwise? <laughs> Look, let's clear this cleared up once and for all. They were written by Prince and Prince alone. <laughs> I don't want to hear any more of this. Well, that's, the last, that's the last I'll say on the subject. But according to uh, the band, um, musically, they were very collaborative and they did work as a band, but it was very much a case of, you don't touch Prince's lyrics, no, 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 child. So musically, they worked collaborative as a band, but remuneratively, it was Prince and Prince alone. Publishing rights, yes, Mr. Prince. Paisley Park Publishing. I wonder, I'm always interested in how much those people walk away with. You know, the Earl Slicks of this world. The revolutions. Dr. Fink of the revolution said in 2009 that musically he was very open to ideas, he being Prince, but kept ownership of the lyrics. For publishing uh, reasons. For publishing Paisley Park Publishing. Uh, Wendy concurred, saying that the band were treated as equal contributors. Except in the eyes of the law. And the, pub, and, and the fee. The, 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 the small business of the fee. Yes. The finger thing means money. Yes. Yeah, when it was first released, it reached number four before... Wendy, you know, this... have you been paid? No, Lisa. Because <laughs> no, Lisa. Paisley Park Publishing owns <laughs> all of it. As you I, well know, Wendy. I, I see Lisa. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Uh, when it was first released, it actually only got to number four before actually heading up the chart. So remember those days where albums could actually go up after having been released rather than oh, yes. sitting somewhere on a chart and quickly leaving again. Unless you're Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran? Do you know I generally can't remember his name? It's, it, it's just Sheeran. Um, you appear to be saying Ed Sheeran. <laughs> maximum none all the time. To the maximum. Yeah, so he joined Elvis and the Beatles in being the only artist to have number one album, number one single, and number one film in the US at the same time. That's and one hell of a, and it, a list to be on, isn't it? That's one hell of a lot of bad films. Oh, I mean, I haven't seen any of the Beatles films, but I am told that Hard Day's Night has some charm. Yes, in the UK, it came in at number 21. Come on, UK. And after 35 weeks, peaked at number seven. Come on, UK. And uh, the very uh, fetching artwork for it was actually shot on the Warner Brothers backlot. Now, I will say this. I think the artwork is the thing that lets it down. <laughs> you don't like the, um, the kind of hodgepodge of, uh, you know, just flowers? Basically. It's just just what they had lying around. Um, but basically, the album cover is Prince looking very striking aboard his motorbike. His with, space uh, age motorbike. Yeah, with Apollina, uh, his uh, love interest of the film, and also appears on the album. She is a uh, kind of uh, <laughs> hanging out the door. <laughs> just oh, Prince, you on your motorhead. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's a strong album cover for the picture, but I, I, I quite like the border of flowers yeah. around it. Right, Rolling Stone compared Prince of the Time to Jimi Hendrix. Rightly so, a fair comparison. Yeah. Billboard wrote that in 1984, only the only man in America more popular than Ronald Reagan, and his name was Prince. Uh Probably appealing to quite different demographics, I'd say. I, say, I, I can see a crossover there. Uh, probably, I would say, a straight 50-50 split. Fans of the cinema of Ronald Reagan. Well, I think the thing is, at the time, it was well known in America that you had to pick one. Yeah. You know, like your favourite Beatle. You either were a Reagan guy or a Prince guy. I mean, they had that famous pay-per-view tug of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, I think Reagan uh, guested on a couple of his albums. Yeah, he played, I think he played Zither. And Hither. Yeah. And also described by Rolling Stone as an epic celebration of everything rock and roll, which means sex and religion and eyeliner and motorcycles and guitars yeah. and Lake Minnetonka. I think one of my problems with it at first was, obviously he's, he's much lauded as a guitarist. Mm. And this is... This is one of those sort of... It's on all of the best rock lists. Mm. But it doesn't really rock. I don't think of this as a rock album at uh, all. No, not at all. Um, and I don't know whether or not I was ready to accept something that wasn't rock at the time. Um, yeah, I think it's... It, 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 you can, it's an interesting one because you can see why it works as a crossover album for rock fans. Because oh, yeah. there, there are enough of these sort of accoutrements of rock to satisfy them, whilst also you could imagine it... Well, you can imagine that his audiences had just as many women in them 
if mm. not if not more. So, which makes him sort of unique in a lot of rock music. I I can completely see. Um, people, if you're into Kiss, you're into Twisted Sister, something like that. Even like into Ozzy Osbourne in the eighties, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could totally get on board with this if you're into just your pop music. If you're into a bit more of your Nile Rodgers, baby, if you will, um, Madonna, but Madonna, you know, that there genuinely is bizarrely a little something for everyone on this album. But if which you is were, for probably example, why it's so earth-shatteringly popular. Yeah, yeah. But if you were like a Zeppelin guy, and your your beloved wife was not really into hairy guys. Mm. that wear a lot of denim and leather you could probably listen to this together and both get something out of it you can definitely dance to it oh yeah but it does he really does shred and it there's yeah. an awful lot of the like they said in rolling stone there's a lot of the iconography of like like minnetonka but yeah you can't i think it's quite an unusual album and there's something about the presentation of prince and just the type of person he was because he managed to absolutely be both incredibly feminine in just his appearance, you know, yeah, yeah. In- incredibly kind of effete, um, wearing the like the um, kind of new romantic clothing, yeah, yeah. makeup, wearing the very high heels, but the power of his voice. He's very commanding and domineering yeah, as well, it, though. His, this music is very muscular. Yeah, and way. he's also he, this. Um, there's such an imperiousness yeah. to like his presentation. You know, the fact that he's always got that, where he always appears to be, I know he's a short man in heels anyway, but he's looking literally down his nose at people most mm. of the time. He is, he looks fearless. Yeah. And in, like I said about that song, um, When We're Dancing Close and Slow, he, he could write some of the most tender, trembling, you know, the, the heartbeat of a little robin kind of songs. And then he goes and just makes something is just fucking knockout as powerful as anything Sabbath ever did. Yeah. In terms of the impact of it, don't, not saying he's ever did any doom riffs or anything but that, but just the sheer impact of the music he performed. And there's certainly some songs like that on here. Many have said over the years that Let's Go Crazy is one of the great opening tracks to an album ever. What say oh. you? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. I concur. I, I remember, sort of, because it was only within the last fortnight or so, I put this on. <clears throat> with you know obviously the commitment to listen to it properly and you when you hear that sort of church organ and mm. dearly beloved dearly and, beloved uh, dearly beloved is a, a fantastic way to open a record and you're drawn in right away even if everything he goes on to say is a little silly dearly beloved is a such a baller way of opening an album and then it just kicks into a funk explosion yeah, I mean, saying Dearly Beloved is second only to opening an album by saying, I've gathered you all here. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't half give your uh, your album, uh, everything you're about to say, heft. 
And yeah. I like the fact that he, he juxtaposes the, the Dearly Beloved bit with essentially a party song rather mm. than a song like When Doves Cry or Purple Rain, which clearly were a little bit more um, fraught. Yeah, so the opening intro is uh, Dearly Beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word life, it means forever and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night, so when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, yeah, you know the one, Doctor, everything will be all right. Instead of asking him how much your time is left, ask him how much of your mind, babe, because in this life, Things are much harder than in the afterworld, in this life, and on your own. And if the de-elevator tries to bring you down, go crazy. And the whole way through that intro, yeah, like you say. Electric that word, order. life, and it means a mighty long time. I, I, yeah, electric word, life. <laughs> it means yeah, a mighty I, long I, time is a great bit. And then, that always reminds me of um, the opening of, well, the, the end of Plan 9 from Outer Space when you've got, oh, I can't remember the, the, the guy's name, the, the, uh, the um, Griswell predicts, that's his name. Oh, yeah, there's a line I want to find, sorry. So, we, are all, we are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. No, it isn't. <laughs> and remember, Wait. my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. What? You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And mm. now, for the first time, we are bringing you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. See, so when I listen to the, the intro that's, to Let's Go Crazy, I often... clunky to... writing, isn't it? Well, it's, it's Ed said... <coughs> so, yeah, yes. I, I often think of Criswell when I hear the start of Let's Go Crazy. But, uh, yeah, I love that church organ sound because it it sounds really weird because it's not even like a grand Scott Walker-esque. Bam! It's no, no, a it's weird just... electro, but kind of like... Yeah, it's about half down, isn't it? Yeah, it, and it falters at points and then it goes... Again, and yeah. Yeah, and it's just like the kickoff when it just... Because you've instantly got the guitar kicking, but you clearly got there's some nice electronic drums in there. As I well. really, really like the bit when you know it sort of breaks down and they go, "Oh no, let's go!" And it's oh so... no, let's go. And for years, I have been mishearing the line, "The elevator is uh, going to break us down." Yeah. Oh no, let's go. The elevator. I always heard yeah. it was just the elevator, but apparently it's the elevator, which is saying, "Don't let the devil bring us down." Because it's all part of the gospel, you know, church, you know, it's uh, it's, it's gospel rendering in the holy church. So let's go crazy. It's almost a, it fits in with a template that he did with 1999, which is kind of end of the world party funk. Because 1999 is is just a song about the end of the world and partying through it. And let's go crazy is kind of a similar thing. It's saying, you know, if, if we're all going to die and it's the end of the world, but let's have a fucking party. Let's go crazy. And let them have a bloody party. Have a bloody party. Just have a bloody party, you know. Yeah. Are we going to let the elevator bring us down? Oh, no, let's go. Dun, 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 I love dun. the fact that, I mean, let's go crazy sets the, the tone for the rest of the record. Not so much the mood, because that, that varies hugely. But the... You know the fact that you are you're in very safe hands, 
Everything you're going to listen to has been sweated over. You know, in stark contrast to the last record we listened to, where Kevin (laughs) Wontaken Dunairs. Yeah, a bunch of men from Canterbury just played some music and it got recorded and released. In a lovely ramshackle way. This is not that. This is professionalism writ large. This is precision. It is precision engineered, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, you just got lines in here like, let's look for the purple banana until they put us in the truck. Let's go. We're all excited, but we don't know why. Maybe it's because we're all going to die. And fair enough. I mean, again, that's absolutely true. You better live now for the Grim Reaper come knocking on your door. I haven't actually read the lyrics. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, just kept doing this to it. <laughs> Adam is swinging his arms around the air like he just don't care. Doing I mean, let's, really let's, lame dancing. Yeah, let's go crazy is not a song you interrogate the lyrics over. It's very much a let's just have a bloody good time, everyone, shall we? Yeah, and I did every single time I listened to it. Yeah, it, it was a staple of his live shows, and following his death in 2016, remember only. Four months after we lost Bowie, and then only a few months later, we Leonard Cohen would die. 2016 was really a shit year. Yeah, I know, but when you look at it in hindsight, 2016 was a golden year. <laughs> you got to uh, you got to re-listen to a lot of really great music and be nostalgic for these men that had had fabulous lives, albeit probably taken from us too young. But I mean, admittedly, those three main people, Bowie, Prince, and Cohen, I didn't really need an excuse to listen to him anyway. I was relatively heavy rotation. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, fair enough. Not but... like you go, well, thank God he's dead. I could have finally listened to him. <laughs> Again, there's, a, there's an element of truth to that. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I loved it. I just loved it. 2016. Uh, no. No. Uh... <laughs> All of Purple Rain. That's why I'm really struggling with my words because I, I just, it's like, yeah, it's so to... good, man. It's so annoyingly good. It's it's probably the best record we've listened to so far. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, unquestionably. It's just so good. Let's Go Crazy even has, it has got one but two guitar solos performed by Prince in it. Yeah, and they're really fast. Yeah. And they and they rock while it while still. So he's doing that while a dance party continues, but it's it, but it's not jarring. And then it just drops straight back into the groove. He just wants you to have fun, Adam. That's all he wants. He's got, there's so much going on. You got drum machines. You got actual drums. You got heavy guitar. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the fundamental sort of the marvels of the whole record is the the war between the drum machine and the actual drums. Ah. Hmm. Oh. God, <laughs> you'll have to forgive me, everybody. I'm new to Prince. And this is very it's such an exciting I'm, record. Hey, I'm I'm vibing off your excitement. I mean, you just looked angry when I bought Gigi Allen. That's because it was legitimately awful. Like, how can anybody release that and think, yeah, good, that that'll do? It was mentioned that. Uh, as a lifelong Adventist, Prince would have grown up hearing that the end of the world was going to come any day now, which may be why uh, may infuse his talk of the apocalypse and the second coming. So there's other other songs on the album where kind of 
referring to the second coming kind of as himself. Yeah, the uh, the Seventh Day Adventists are, uh, with all due respect, a wacky bunch. A curious, <laughs> yeah. bunch of characters. It's yeah. uh, it's 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 one of the more esoteric religions. Hmm. I believe before he died as well, he was a Jehovah's Witness. Yes, I believe uh, so. Uh, I believe he used to, you know, take off his prince regalia. Pop on a short sleeve shirt and tie and go and do a bit of knocking on doors. Again, I don't know if that's apocryphal, but I hope it isn't because that's such a. Imagine that <laughs> knock on the door. Dearly beloved. What the fuck? <laughs> Hang on. I'm sorry, we're more of a Reagan household. <laughs> oh, forgive me. <laughs> Dig, if you will, the scriptures. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I mean, we can all agree, everyone. Let's go crazy is an absolute smash, smash of a, a let's get his party. It is literally it's the ultimate let's get his party started song, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably the first album we're going to play at this notional party. Oh yeah, well, you mean we're going to have to turn off certain choice elements of Joy of a Toy when I'm in the bathroom? I mean, I mean nobody's putting on Joy of a Toy as 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 the starting record. That's when people are feeling tired, but, you know, in a very positive frame of mind. So, things get all dramatic with the opening of Take Me With You. I... I just absolutely love how this song opens. That is it? Oh, it's not the one with the like the drum machine solo on it. The one that goes do 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 do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it just segues into those beautiful strings. Go This song is so happy. Yeah, it's wonderful. This was so after the excitement of "Let's Go Crazy," "Take Me With You" came on. And I believe I messaged you almost immediately, just saying, "This is this is a smash." <laughs> it's so brilliant, I could cry. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I love that. Just, it's so dramatic the way it opens with the drums, and then it just, for some reason, just moves into this charming orchestra section. I don't care if we spend the night at your mansion. <laughs> and then the next line is something like, I don't care if we spend the night on the tiles. And I think the expression of night on the tiles is one I haven't heard in so long and derived enormous satisfaction from. If I'm wrong, I don't want to hear it. Because that's what <laughs> I believe the line is, and that's what's so central. I think it's just, I don't care if we spend the night on the town. Tiles. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You fancied a night on the tiles. All I want is to spend the night together. All I want is to spend the night in your arms. It's just a very simple love song. But yeah. the music around it is earthquakingly brilliant. So take me with you. Take me with you. I don't care, pretty baby. Just take me with you. And it's a duet with Apollina Kotaro, sorry, Kotaro, who uh, appears in Purple Rain as the love interest Apollina. And I didn't realise that Apollina is actually an actor who did a bit of singing. 
I was convinced she was a singer because the acting on show could could have had a better career as a singer. Weak. What is her singing? Good. I mean, to be fair, I always watch Purple Rain and for hey, she's absolutely fine. Under the impression she was a singer trying to act. But knowing <laughs> that she's actually an actor who was then trying to uh, was the impression that, singing. Hey, she's doing her best. Yeah. All that goodwill now, Adam, out the window. That's I mean, calm. I had been behind the megaphone. Oi! Pull your fucking Yeah, apparently she had to be talked in or kind of coaxed into doing the song because uh, the director of the film, uh, the auteur, Albert Magnoli, uh, he said, um, Prince, you gotta have more of a song that connects you with Apollina in the film. He said, oh! And so after he swooned for several hours, he went literally overnight, just wrote, take me with you as a duet. And then um, Lisa Coleman from the revolution kind of did a guide track on it. And then uh, singer Jill Jones provided, um, again, a guide track for her to sing along to. I mean, you feel like Wendy or Lisa might have been able to just Dash it off quite quickly. But hey, if they needed it for the motion picture, they needed it. But then things get a little bit complicated because I've read things that said it was written specifically for the song at the director's request. And then other literature on the internet has said it was actually written for her album that Prince was putting together called Apollina Six. And then it was decided that they would take the song from her and put it in Purple Rain. So... But uh, when asked about it, they said, well, did you mind it being put in Purple Rain? And she said, no, but I was pissed that he gave Manic Monday to the Bangles. <laughs> he wrote Manic Monday as well? Yeah, of course he did. He's Prince. Jesus Christ. What an embarrassment get, of riches. Get on board for Prince train, Adam. I'm, I'm so on board. There's so, so much to enjoy on the I'm train. I'm not only on board the Prince train, I'm asking the conspector whether or not I can go up in the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Adam, do you want to pull my whistle? Do I, Mr. Prince? <laughs> Certainly. Do you need any? Do you need a stoker? Somebody to shovel coal? I imagine that's how the Prince train is powered. I have Wendy doing that. You, but I'd need a tambourine player. Oh, boy, what I'm going there. Oh, boy. Yeah, so in the film, the song uh, plays over a lovely montage as, uh, as they take Prince's motorbike out to Lake Minnetonka uh. to escape to escape the city. So, I mean, it should be, now seems a good time to do a quick summary of what the film is. So you've got Prince um, playing the kid. The kid, the kid. Uh, Apollina comes into town as a fresh in town, uh, young singer who wants oh, to make Apollonia. it. Have I made that uh, up? No, it is Apollonia, sorry, my bad. Yeah. Uh yeah, and she come she arrives in the opening scene when let's get crazy. Let's go crazy. I can't I'm forgetting all the names. So excited. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so excited. Adam. And the kid has a rival at, at this club he plays at called the First Theatre, I believe, which is a very famous club in itself in Minneapolis. Uh and his rival is Morris Day of Morris Day in the Time. And essentially the film is a power struggle between who will win the affections of both Apollonia and win the Apollonia. crowd. Apollonia. And win the, the affection of the crowd at the, the first theatre. Because there can only be so many bands, Adam. And I forget who the other bands are. But it all comes down to the kid 
and Morris Day and their shit hot rivalry. Also in the background, uh, the kid's father is abusive and all that. And yeah, there's not a lot of choice, is there, for the people of Minneapolis? No, it's either Prince's band or a band that Prince started that he writes all the songs for. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a band that sounds like a more funky Prince. So it's like the illusion of choice. Yes. Pull the strings. Yes. <laughs> Pay no attention to the tiny man in purple behind the curtain. Shouting, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Get off. Yes, I love, I love Take Me With You. I think when I first started digging, if I will, this album, uh, Take Me With You was the first one that jumped out to me as like, a, oh, I'm not really familiar with this one. It's fucking great. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I mean, but the next song, track three, The Beautiful Ones. Baby, 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 what's it gonna be? I, 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 I adore The Beautiful Ones so much. He's really you're, working the falsetto, isn't he, in this you're, one? You're just making it sing for me, Adam. But uh, on a, on a, an album as sterling as this, which has some of the greatest pop songs known to man, with the title track and when doves cry, this is my this is my MVP of the album. My problem is that um, the beautiful ones is also I think it's a suede song. I, I couldn't tell you. I, I, yeah, I, well, I, I read the the beautiful ones. I that's what I immediately hear. Um, but yeah, no, the beautiful ones is a soaring piece of majesty, isn't it? On this. Oh God, yeah, just that echoing drum at the start, which on a less round could sound quite cheap and very much of its time. But that wow noise. But then those sci-fi again, on a lesser album could sound really novelty. Yeah, yeah, it could sound schlock. Nah. But then you've got that descending bass on it. And again, you've then got that trembling, tender sounding prince yeah, I, and this is one of the ones that he produced, arranged, composed, and performed. It. It's basically Prince. It's. And this is the one where he gets really histrionic by the end, isn't it? Yeah. Do you screaming, want him? I want Do you. you. I want you. And then you get the full-blown guitar yes, on top of you. guitar on the top of a mountain covered in smoke. Bam, bam. One thing, one thing for certain, baby. I beg you, baby, baby. Yeah, it it goes from it goes from like two millimeter high to like as big as the fucking Taj Mahal. This song. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And his performance absolutely matches it. You've got the again, like you said, the tiny little, tiny little elfin man. Baby, baby, baby. Yeah, it's 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 preposterous. How on you? It, it soars like a mighty eagle and it's silly and it's fucking theatrical and pompous and I love it so much. Yeah, it, but it's the best sort of um, rock pomposity. Oh, it's absolutely. the sort of thing that, like, you know, Guns N' Roses with November Rain. Yes. A parallel I'll be drawing later with Purple Rain. It's They try to do that sort of thing, but they don't pull it off half as well as this. That this sense of enormous scale and he sounds so sincere with the he commits a hundred percent to the meow bit. God, 
God, yeah, I just loved it so much. Yeah, like you said, his voice is just so. Oh, yeah. This is this is the main song where I'm just. Oh man, Prince, his fucking voice. Yeah, I just I charge anyone to listen to a song and just not get excited. I mean, it's 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 a histrionic song, <laughs> no doubt. But how could you not just get affected by everything going on here? Because I wasn't joking. I haven't really put any other music on except this now in about two weeks. And I'm not what? bored of it. I'm not bored of it at all. Oh, yeah. This is one of those songs. I've listened to this song so many times. I'll pop it on now and just go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. And it's an yeah. album where you, I feel shortchanged if I don't listen to all of it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as a, because it, all of the songs sort of connect with one another. They do. But they all but they still all work very much as of a piece on their own. But that's sort of the genius of, you know, how so many of the intros are kind of different to how the actual song Yeah, they, 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 they all, every song has an intro before the song proper kicks in. Yeah, weaving the whole insane yeah. purple thing together. Even, you know, even though Beautiful Ones then ends kind of very quietly going back to the... Uh, yeah, I mean, in in the context of the film, the, the song is performed on stage by the kid, and there's a, a direct appeal to Apollonia, who at this point in proceedings has gone to dinner with Morris Day for comedic effect. Um, <laughs> jury's out on that one. <laughs> I'm telling you, she goes to dinner with Morris Day. It's gonna be a scream. He, he pays for a drink, and then he asks for the change back, because he's that kind of fella. Because that's uh, how the audience know he's tight and no good. I mean, both our Carl Reiners are, are on point. I don't know about Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Who's supposed to be doing Mel Brooks? <laughs> One of us is Mel Brooks, and we leave it to All people right, well, to decide. <laughs> your Mel Brooks is terrible. I'll just say it. <laughs> My Carl Reiner is apparently excellent. <laughs> excellent. Uh, apparently, well... The song outside the realms of the film was written to woo Susanna Melvonia uh, away from her boyfriend. Uh, Susanna Melvonia is the sister of Wendy. Ah, uh, yes. And in uh, 2015, Prince admitted it was written for Denise Matthews, a.k.a. Vanity, his one-time protege and girlfriend. Paint a perfect picture. Bring to life the vision in one's mind. The beautiful ones always smash the picture. It's, it's a silly song, Adam, but I love it. It doesn't matter, because he sings it with such sincerity and conviction that you're absolutely borne away by his, by his ludicrous words. Ludicrous brilliance. Oh, I, love, I love the be uh, beautiful ones so much. I'm going to be really yeah. hard-pushed to pick a favourite, you realise. Mm, I have no doubt. You're in Purple Rain Country, boy. Yeah, I am, man. God, it's nice to be here. Yeah, decisions ain't easy here. Everybody's an eyeliner. Computer blue. Do, 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 do. This is the one that sounds a bit Morris Day, isn't it? Yeah, this one, this one is a bit more the funky ones. I mean, some kind of space age funk, but I don't claim to know what it's about, Mike. Do you, Wendy? Yes, Lisa. <laughs> is the water warm? 
Yes, Lisa. Computer blue. Ooh. Narratively, it represents his angst at the relationship between Apollonia and and the comedically charged Morris Day. Um, I've interestingly, just read, I've just read all of the lyrics. Uh, there aren't a lot of them, are there? <laughs> no. But interesting story then. Prince credits his father, John L. Nelson. <laughs> no, sorry. You know, when you look at the lyrics on a on a, a popular website for such things, yeah. the last four lyrics is just the word "yow" four times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yow, 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 yow. Hey, you left out till I find the righteous one. Computer blue. Yeah, so Prince... Prince credits his father, John L. Nelson, for the guitar solo based on a piano instrumental written by him. And originally the song was titled Father's Song. So in the film, um, yeah, in the film, uh, there's a tender moment when he comes home and finds his abusive father weeping and probably drunk, sat at the piano. And it kind of shows that his father was a frustrated musician who never got his due in life and he's writes this beautiful piano solo and then it segues into computer blue and you would think surely that would work much better as purple rain for the more emotional impact not (laughs) 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 yes lisa (laughs) this is a beautiful song my father wrote (laughs) anyway yeah uh beginning of the song the uh the spoken word lyrics Um, it's been a spinal tap that it's in a she's the saddest of all the chords what's it called (laughs) Uh, lick my love pump. <laughs> the bigger the cushion, the sweeter the portion. Or so I have read. <laughs> do, do, do. Um, some suggest it has a dominatrix quality to it. Um, Wendy and Lisa just said, um, not really. We, we, we were just given this intro by Prince to say, and we just said it. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Prince, what's this about? Shh. Would you like some grapes? <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it's great sometimes how people go, Phew, that sounds a bit saucy the way you did it. We, we're literally just reading stuff off a line. You Absolutely perp. no idea. It did seem to be about the lake. <laughs> <laughs> Is the warmer, water of Lake Minnetonka warm enough? Uh, y- yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes, Good. Come and have a grape. It's... It's a very long song for so few lyrics. I've heard it described as a sweet. Yes, it was originally much longer. Um, originally, it was going to be seven and a half minutes long, but it was cut down so they could make room for Take Me With You on the soundtrack. And that's a good decision. It is a good decision. And uh, it, legend has it there's an even longer version than a seven and a half minute version. No, no. Uh, which goes on uh, with much more feedback guitar sounds kind of like the computer's breaking down and yeah. there's much more the whole thing with Wendy and Lisa actually keeps cropping up throughout the song so you've got much more interplay with coming back to Wendy and Lisa. You've got some more development of the characters. Yeah, so d- ladies, just checking, the water is still warm- lukewarm, Lisa. Uh, halfway through, they're just sort of splashing going, it's getting quite chilly now, isn't it, Lisa? <laughs> yes, Wendy, it is. Do you think we should get out, Lisa? I, I don't think Prince will let us... <laughs> He's just he's just tapping his watch and looking frowning. He's paid for the hour. We better stay in. Oh, Wendy, yes, Lisa. 
Prince is holding a towel. Shall we get out? Yes, Lisa. <laughs> a purple yeah. towel, obviously. Yep, it's a, it's it's a more experimental song. So, because all the other songs, you've got a ballad that goes strangely awry with beautiful ones. You've got this lovely love duet with "Take Me With You." You've got a party song. "Computer Blue" is the first one that sounds a little bit like a what? What's this supposed to be? And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but how, how how can you describe "Computer Blue"? As a piece of music. Indeed so, sir. Yes. You would be hard-pushed, I think, to describe it as by anything in particular, because there's it's, a lot going on. It's the closest to a funk song on it, so far. It, yeah. It, it skirts the realm a little bit of Parliament Funkadelic, and I, more of a George Clinton Space Age sort of vibe. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it sets it sets very much apart from that because it's computer blue. It's its own thing, but it's it's that's the nearest comparison. That, though. I mean, yeah, a lot of Parliament Funkadelic was, had a much more quite, of a ramshackle vibe to it. Quite baggy. Hmm. Yeah, an entire keyboard solo was removed. Other instrumental passages were truncated, and every verse after the first verse was cut. Well, what remains is a lean but sonically dense piece. I mean, who wrote that? Uh, that can be found on Genius.com. I mean, they're bang right. It is lean but sonically dense. Yeah, which I would actually put as a modern comparison as a Kanye West production. I mean, if there's one thing you can say for absolutely definite, it's that Kanye West has definitely listened to this album oh, hell of a lot. I mean, I, I don't think Kanye West has produced anything that really sounds like Purple Rain, but no, 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 that, that, that descriptor of sonically dense, but still relatively sparse in a bizarre way i think you could say for a lot of his work and there's just no way that there is an artist of kanye west's vintage that isn't or doesn't have a huge amount of time for prince certainly not working in the genres that kanye west is working in Mm. he uh shadow looms large it does yeah absolutely so and I think this, this got the strongest segue because Computer Blue kind of just crashes out of life. Yeah, yeah. And then Darling Nikki kind of bleeps into life. I mean, literally, you've got these kind of weird bleepy noises. And that... Da, 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 that's almost strolling. So, yeah. it. So the first lyrics for Darling Nikki... And I always, I literally picture Prince shimmying through a hotel lobby. Mm. So the first verse is, I knew a name, a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. That I, I would her... say is the lyric that I, that I would take exception to. I could say she was a sex fiend. Because I think that does date it slightly. But he did meet her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. And you would find that arresting, yeah. She said, how do you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little... Little, little Nicky grind. Down. Yeah. yeah. And then so, I believe it's... She said, sign your name on the dotted line. Yeah, which has... And then Nicky starts to grind. Yeah, which has led commentators to say, is this, again, is this a dominatrix love affair going on here? You know, no, devices, so. devices, sign your name on the dotted line, kind of that 
sign here. Sign here. Uh, give me a safe word and uh, not, you know, can't sue me if anything goes wrong with this. Oh, okay. So when she starts to grind, she's really going over him with some sandpaper or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> really pumicing those corns. I suppose that's possibly true. Um, it isn't what I imagined when I was listening to it. I mean, I kind of, I think, I think of it because it musically it has almost quite a uh, flowery appeal to it, and then the lyrics are quite raunchy. It's a raunchy, raunchy, quite, quite. I mean, within the context of the film, which is so essential, we must come back to this, Adam. We must, <laughs> we must yes. retain the Do narrative. Do tell us. How, where is where is Nikki in the so, narrative? In proceedings, uh, Apollonia has now joined that comedic titan, Morris Day, and his band. Well, uh, I mean, we, they're, they're having all of their gags written for them by Carl Reiner, so they're, yeah. they're, they're doing something right. Which, you know, within the context of the film, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, because at this point she's dating the kid, pl- played by Prince. Keep up, everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, but for some reason, she thinks it best to go with Morris Day uh, and the well, time. Look, if I was Apollonia and I was thinking, which one of these guys do I affix my hopes and dreams to? I mean, is it the is guy it, with the revolution or the guy with Carl Reiner? Is it the guy yes. that, I mean, he calls himself the kid, but I think that's Prince. Um, Are you sure that's Prince? <laughs> pretty sure this guy's Prince. No, no, that's the kid. Is, is, it, is it not Prince? Uh, or Morris Day, who I... <laughs> Morris Day went Carl Reiner. Morris, Morris, t- get out the there Titan- and knock him dead. Titanic duo of Carl Reiner and Morris Day. Yeah, the song is deliberately engineered to sound raw and live. Um... Oh yeah, so I don't think I actually said where, where it comes in the proceeding. So yes, uh, so the kid sings this on stage to Apollonia um, as a kind of revenge. So this is almost his version of revenge porn in mm. musical form. So yes, and savoury within the context of the film, because he, he sings it at her to kind of get a rise from her, because then in the film she she runs from the club in, a, in embarrassment of some kind while he smirks as he sings it, saying, Come back, Nikki, come back. You sure told her? No, do that one where everybody goes, oh, 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 you had a laugh to have. Yeah, if you wonder, towards the end of the song, there's some backwards lyrics, uh, which happen. And if anyone's wondering, um, the lyrics are say, hello, how are you? Fine, fine, because I know the Lord is coming soon. Coming, coming soon. So a bit more of the end of the world stuff there. Or some, some sex talk. To there. Or a, bit yeah. of a lovely bit of sex talk. Lovely bit of sex talk to look forward to. Yes, and this is the song that uh, Tipper Gore, ex-wife of Al Gore, reportedly uh, co-founded the Parents Music Resource Centre in 1985 because she witnessed her daughter, uh, Karenna, who was 11, listening to it at the time. Hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. Oh. I mean, I have been playing it to my daughter, but she's only 16 months old and is crucially pre-language. Um, she's certainly pre-hotel lobbies. I, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flesh, though, Mike, because I am going to leave a note on your stairs saying thank you for a funky time. And welcome. 
That's that's an absolute promise, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about doing that a couple of times. I go, <laughs> and then Mikey will start to cry. <laughs> Oh yes, uh, it's an absolute filth bag of Ogno in it. Oh yeah, I don't just mean lyrically. the 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 music is it's fairly it's like, sexy noise. It's ro- it, it is. It's got a swaying vibe to it, but it's very robotic at the same time. It's not a it's not a warm sounding song. It's very disconnected in that way because it's very. It sounds very treated. It sounds very electronic. Yes, it's not a warm. It's not a love song, is it? It's, it's not. It's not "Take Me With You." It's as warm as "Take Me With You" sounds. This is like craft work of a love song. Yeah, yeah, sexy clinical. Yeah, yes, yes, clinical is the word. Really stands out though, doesn't it? It does, and it's it, because at this it's quite point, an arresting song in the album. It is, I think, as well because even though "Beautiful Ones" is. It's much more slower pace because it has such a theatrical vibe to it. It kind of it feels very emotional. Whereas, "Darling Nikki" is just it, that it's that middle song. It's literally the middle song in the album, and it does just feel a bit of a, a breather because it's like, oh, this one's got a bit of a different tempo and a different vibe to it, and it's just, yeah, 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 quite it feels, alien. Um, to the album. Stripped back in a strange way for a song that's all about yeah. grinding. I mean, oh, Nikki! Nikki just grinds. Nikki does grind. It just goes to show how different every song in the album has been to this point as well. You've got "Let's Go Crazy," which is a party anthem. "Take Me With You," it's a lovely love song. "Beautiful Ones" is just a scream in the night with lush curtains everywhere, and "Computer Blue" is a sound of um, George Clinton malfunctioning. And, and then, then, darling, Nikki is craftwork. Have just brought you a blue rose to your front door. And you didn't ask him to, and you're just wondering what the fuck of Craftwork doing here. And also, Blue Rose is a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, shall we dig if we will the picture? Dig if you will. I can't really listen to it without thinking of uh, Romeo and Juliet. Which is a great version. Yes, it is. Maybe I'm just too demanding. Yeah. When Doves Cry is an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, when you open with a guitar riff, it basically sounds like it is Hendrix from Beyond the Grave. Wasn't he attached to a Hendrix biopic for a while not that or, I heard I mean that, Andre, I mean, Andre, probably is one of those internet rumours Andre 3000 ended up playing him and Andre 3000 was kind of the prince of the early 2000s I mean not nearly anything like the kind of output <laughs> or productivity or but, quality control I mean I, I mean, I love, I I love some of those outcasts. I, Equemini, yeah, I'm sure they're, they're great. But is any, are any of them as good as Purple Rain? Are they? Be honest. I mean, they're I'll re- great. I'll re- I will remind you, you're under oath. I mean, let's be fair here. That's that is like, <laughs> I mean, it's good, but is it as good as Citizen Kane? Yeah. Or is it, it as is. good as Jaws? I mean, yeah, it's really good. It's not that good, grant <laughs> you. 
It's not, I mean, yeah, it's brilliant. It's not, it's not genius. Yeah. Yeah, I would say a lot of Outcast is brilliant. It's not genius. Dream if you can, a courtyard, an ocean of violets in I'm blue. blue. Animals strike curious poses to feel the heat, the heat between me and you. Dink, dink, dink. Dink, dink, I really, dink, really dink. like I mean, I dig if you will, the picture is great. But the second line is great as well. If you were now engaged in a kiss. In a kiss. Engaged in a kiss. Come on. Touch if you will, my stomach. Feel yeah, how it trembles inside. Touch if you will, my stomach is also a very sexy line. <laughs> not so much, why do we scream at each other? I mean, not really my stomach, but certainly Prince's. He was lying. Yeah, so Prince was asked by the great auteur, Albert Magnoli, to write a song to match the theme of a particular segment of the film that involved intermingled parental difficulties and a love affair. The oh, next well, morning... Nailed that then, because yeah. it's, got, it's both of those, and it's brilliant. Yeah. The next morning, Prince came back with this. Prince, it's five o'clock in the evening. I need to come back on set tomorrow with a song that has intermingled love affair <laughs> and parental difficulties. I'll just see what I can whip up, yeah? Come on, Carl. You fucking come me. back with this. <laughs> Do you reckon... Maybe you should... Something about your mother and your father. He played it to the great auteur. You would imagine that person had the self-awareness to go... Ha, I've suddenly realised that my entire film is awful. I hope you had the balls enough to go. Gadar's inspiration for that. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> I should expect some of those Paisley Park publishing rights. Oh, no, it's just you, is it, on the publishing? Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. What about Carl? <laughs> I've just spoken to Wendy and Lisa, and they said, yeah, yeah, I'm not having any. Yeah. yeah, this was his first number one single, and it went uh, to number eight in the charts after his death. Uh, and he got... He, he went a bit Stevie Wonder in it and he plays all the instruments on the track and it was the last song written for the album it's um, it's a work of art yes it's one it of is. those rare things that's just it's just a completely perfect song so it has no bass line there is a very neoclassical keyboard solo at the end yeah. Where it just goes nuts. It's got an extended guitar solo, which is just fucking bitching. Yeah. And just his his voice as well, that kind of smoky dig, if you will. And then by the end again, it's a bit like the beautiful ones where he's doing the And that incredible like meltdown of notes at the beginning before the the riff opens. Mm. It's mega. <laughs> Yeah, and towards the song again, I it does a thing that I always like on songs where this it starts just going ooh whoa ooh whoa him going ah and you got all these different voices doing different things as though something really calamitous is happening and something really bad is going on because this love affair is fucked up so badly. There's all these different voices just going on all over the place. And just yeah, I just love when songs just start kind of falling apart like that. But it's all just again precision. Didn't like it when Kevin Ayres did it though, did you? No, 
<laughs> drunk and cantry tosser. <laughs> leave him alone! You will leave <laughs> him alone! <laughs> this song kept uh, Bruce Springsteen's Dance from the Dark off the top spot. Good shots. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell that next time he's here. No disrespect, Mr. Springsteen, but um, if you're going to be beaten by anything, you'd be, I'd be delighted if it was when doves cry. Oh, hell yeah. You can't deny it, can you? It's not an, you, you know, Ultravox Joe Dolce situation. You'd be no. thrilled if you were beaten by this because, well, Thank yes. Thank may I have another? That's objectively better than what I've written, so fair enough. Yeah. MC Hammer sampled it for the song Pray. Good song in itself. Um, and, and with Prince's Blessing. Oh, so he didn't have to give all the money back. To Paisley Park Publishing. Paisley Park Publishing. The finger thing means money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. FH1 ranked it number five greatest songs of the 80s. Rolling Stone, number 52, uh, 500 greatest songs ever. Rolling Stone love a good 500 list. They do. Uh, Although, I'll tell you what Rolling Stone don't like, and that's uh, many genres and music from countries other than America. America with guitar! The whole um, of, like, the whole of Europe barely get a look in in Rolling Stone lists. Oh, yeah. Uh, but interesting, in that list of the 500 greatest songs ever, the only other song from the 80s that beat When Doves Cry was um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. What, The Message? Yeah. A great song, but surely uh, there's other... I mean, we've, we've discussed before on another podcast called Breaking Glass with David Bowie Catalog that Ashes yeah. to Ashes just won the 80s. Well, I mean, it absolutely did, but but the message probably had more more impact than when doves cry. Maybe because the message sounds like something starting, whereas when doves cry and ashes to ashes are just perfect little pop songs. Oh yeah, I, I, it's tough. I think I probably would say that ashes to ashes still wins, but <laughs> but Joe Dolce. Surprising us all by coming <laughs> sheet number one in Rolling Stone's top 500 songs. Perplexing. What's up, my you? What is it? That, was it? It was Vienna that it beat, wasn't it? No, I think Dancing it was, yeah. with tears in my eyes. Which is mm. a great song. What's the matter, you? Why are you looking so sad? Yes, and uh, yeah, controversial video for When Doves Cry. But yeah, again, the only bit in it is just he's in bathtub, seemingly sans underpants. Well, he was assessing whether or not the water was warm. Mm. Wendy, <laughs> Lisa, the water is warm, please. <laughs> Thank you, Prince. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then towards the end of the video, it then goes from being largely a clip show of the film the, the, you know the film purple. we got we got shill some of the film here to remind mm. people <laughs> i just love the outfit prince is wearing with this guy a fedora with um a veil halfway down the face and this oh. gold suit and then they just decide to cut the they you know, do the effects on the camera so it's half so it looks mirrored and everything which i don't think well potentially they didn't realize which literally cuts half of the revolution out of the video because then you've only got two of them in it mirrored um, yeah, I can't imagine he was too bothered by that. Yeah, because fundamentally, Adam, you can see prints. Yes, and, and that really is all that Paisley and, Park and, Publishing care about. And, and Carl in the background. Of course, yes. Just cheering them on. 
in a red cardigan, waving, drinking a <laughs> mimosa. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, again, about there's how so... proud he is of his son for when Harry met Sally. Oh, great run of films there, Rob. Great run of films. I mean, there's so much going on when doves cry. It's absurd to think a man wrote this in essentially a day to write. I mean, I, I, I get that he didn't write and mix it and complete the whole thing in a day, but just the fact he went away in an evening and put this on together and just the thought that, yep, there's gonna be, it's going to descend here, then we're going to have a lovely chant along here, then I'm going to throw in a guitar solo there. And mm. just those drums on it, just so iconic. And that that just that piano, or that sorry, electric kind of piano. Do 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 do. Again, and again, this is something we spoke about before, where it sounds so much of its time, but timeless. Yes, you are one hundred percent right. That is what I was going to say. It sounds like a quintessential eighties record, but also could have been recorded yesterday. It's yeah. by somebody trying to sound like they were making an 80s song, but what an absolute masterpiece. Mm. Yeah, and this, this is one of those songs that, you know, I've known for years and even before I listened to the album itself, this is this has always been one of my favourite Prince songs, as it will be for many people. And this is one of those songs as well, but even if you don't really listen to Prince or know Prince, you'll know the song. And yes, I, you will. I think I think most people will just go, don't know who this is, but it's a banger. Because how can how can you deny this song? You can't. You simply can't. You simply can't. You just simply can't. And if you no. do, you're fucking wrong. So for all of the mastery of When Doves Cry, we then have the love song to the drum machine that is you you meow. Yeah, I think it was this with this album that really brought in Prince's love affair with abbreviating songs as well. So, Take Me With You is the letter U. I would die. I, for one, find that that quite grating. I don't know about you. Yeah, uh, I mean, it would get worse over Prince's career. I mean, not only would he keep up with this charade, uh, he would get to the point where he'd literally just put like Egyptian symbols in song names as well to denote song titles. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's things like that that uh, led me to him writing him off as preposterous in the worst way. But then you got, after you got When Doves Cry, which is this, oh, grand scale. Um, I, it's not, I don't even know. It's, it's not even a romance song. It's just a scream to the heavens. Uh, I Would Die For You is relatively up-tempo dance number. Yeah. It's quite a hopeful sounding song Although, you know, admits, well, you know about him of, being the second coming I was going to say there's a lot of religious imagery in it oh, I absolutely. mean he calls himself the messiah calls people yeah. sinners um, I'm not and, a woman I'm not a man I am something that you'll never understand is it is it Jesus it is Jesus yeah, yeah. I, yeah see that, I see that you do understand you, you, you could be forgiven for thinking when he says I'm not a woman I'm not a man He's talking about his androgyny or something like that. No, no, he's talking about him being God. He's God. He's God, everyone. He's God, everyone. Everyone. (laughs) He's God. Yes, God. Darling, if you want me to, you, I would die for you. You'll never understand. Uh, Is it that you're God? I am something that you'll never comprehend. God. I'm your Messiah and you're the reason why. I mean, he literally says, I'm your Messiah in the song. 
I mean, that is taking the Vince Taylor Ziggy Stardust thing just to the next level. He's literally just out and out saying, I am your fucking messiah. Just sit down and fucking shut up. Worship me. Worship me, you fucks. Now buy my <laughs> album. Also, please enjoy the motion picture. <laughs> you fucks. It is a yeah. dan- it's, it's a weird little up-tempo dance number that is also <laughs> out and out saying that he's God. Yeah. Curious. Because, because, Adam, in the narrative of a finely constructed work that is Purple Rain, the motion picture, um, at this point we get disconnect because in proceedings, the song follows Purple Rain, which is the climax of the film. And then having performing Purple Rain and coming off the stage and going, bloody hell. Um, he then goes back on stage and I Would Die For You is the encore, which is like, pick me up after the sort of the, the grandness of the title track. Interesting. Because I would imagine that, you know, in his gigs that he did after this album became, and so obviously, sorry, and the motion picture became the success that it was. Number one at motion picture. You can't imagine throwing Purple Rain in and doing I Would Die For You as the encore. It'd be the other way around, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, I could see Purple Rain closing a lot of sets. Closing, then, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see it as being an encore song. I mean, you've got to get your chat in there about being the crowd's Messiah. Just in case they hadn't realised. Everyone, to be absolutely clear... I would die for you. You fucks. You sinning fucks. Yeah, I, and to that end, I think it sounds a bit like a continuation of, it's like picking up the party from Let's Go Crazy. If I mean, if it was sequels well, yeah, on the end of the album. People have really been through the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it actually was sequels on the end of the album, it would almost feel like a bookend sort of thing. Let's Go Crazy is the party song that starts the album. And I would die for you. like, right, everyone. Get last drinks, one more yeah. song to dance to before you but all bugger off. You would not in any way put Purple Rain anywhere else on the album, would you? Oh, no, you can't. You shouldn't. You mustn't. Mustn't. You shouldn't. You simply mustn't. Yeah. You know, and again, the talk of let's go crazy with the elevator, the end of the world, and then again, you've got sort of the talk of him literally being the second coming here, both as a musician and literally as our messiah. And as a literal messiah. A literal messiah. I mean, it, hey, it, Prince. We could do a lot worse at That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and that's absolutely fair. Yeah, interesting side note here. That when the uh, song was released, the B-side was the song Another Lonely Christmas, which was um, <laughs> a, song, a song about a man pining for his dead lover who died the previous Christmas. So not, not quite the crowd pleaser. Um, I would die for you. Probably was. Ah, maybe Jesus was for dead lover. One would hope not. Oh, okay. Lest there be accusations of being monstrously crass. I mean, I wouldn't put past Prince. Uh, no, I, I don't think he troubled himself with what other people might find crass or offensive. I think he... You get the impression, don't you, listening to this, that you are listening to one man's incredible drive and vision you you mentioned previously that baby i'm a star is probably the only eh. yeah it's still great i mean it, it, i because i completely concur i think it's great in the but 
it, relatively in the purple rain scale, it's yeah, probably it's the probably the sacrificial lamb track. Would you would say be, that it feels? Would you a miss tad, it if it, a tad throwaway? It in does in comparison it, to the others. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't here, would you miss it? No, no. And I think part of the reason for that is it doesn't sound to me quite so much like Prince. Hmm. It sounds like it, he could have given it to somebody else. Apart from the fact that he'd never let anybody else sing that they're a star, I imagine. <laughs> My daughter yeah. loved this one. This was her favourite. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> did a lot of sort of pudgy, fisted it... dancing to it. Is it because it has the word baby in it? I don't think she knows the word baby. Uh, she's baby, got baby, baby, baby. It's mainly, you know, daddy, mummy, car, mother, <laughs> that, that type of caper. No actual, no reference to babies. Yeah, Baby I'm a Star is, is, is a fun record. Yeah. and Nice little bit of pop, pop flim flam. Yeah. And this is a film, it's a film. This is the song that in the film literally closes the film. There's a fantastic shot of Prince turning back to the corner of the camera and then it freeze frames over <laughs> Baby I'm a Star. And this is a song that takes us home, everyone. The idea, uh, wasn't there, that, that artists who were exceptional in one field were clearly going to be titans in all the others. I mean, he was, he was a fantastic decoupage. He was. He was... Second to none as a ceramicist. His tapestry was beyond compare. Still hangs today in Coventry Cathedral. Yeah. Coventry Cathedral. His penmanship was beyond reproach. Oh, his penmanship was absolutely superb. I mean, his purple Parker still hangs in Paisley Park. You know where the publishing's from. Purple Parker, Paisley Park, where the publishing house is. Yeah, Prince's Purple Parker in Paisley Park Publishing. It's what he signed all his publishing deals in Paisley Park with a Purple Parker pen. Purple! Prince's Purple Parker pen. You know the one. Sounds like a game in that. Involving drink. Oh, I'm over that. Yeah, we can play that. That's fine. Yeah. Prince's Purple Parker pen game. <laughs> Yeah, just think of as many words as you can beginning with P and attribute them to Prince in Paisley Park Publishing. Do we have to give the money to Paisley Park Publishing? I believe so. But also, okay. what money? Is money changing hands? Well, apparently so. <laughs> well, you've got to pay a pretty penny to Paisley Park Publishing. <laughs> if that is your custom, then yeah. Uh, you had an epistle sent to you. <laughs> you know, in Batman... Um... Party Man, that's a P. When the song Party Man played, apparently uh, Baby I'm a Star was originally picked to be the song playing during mm. Joker's big uh, parade scene. Party Man. Don't know it. Oh no, it's not Party Man in the Batman scene. It is Trust. That's the song. Trust. What do you mean you don't know that scene? I don't really remember it. I know. I can remember him sort of dancing about a bit. I don't really remember what the song was. Have you not watched Tim Burton's Batman a billion times? Uh, I don't think I've seen it in years and years. Oh, just me then. I've uh, watched that film a lot. Uh, I, I think I've seen... Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen Batman Forever more than Batman. That's really sad. <laughs> I'll live with it. <laughs> I thought hey, Jim Carrey was charming in it. Batman Forever, great soundtrack. There is a light. Hold me, kiss me, throw me, kill me, please. Batman. And Method Man as well. Um, He's also there. And PJ Harvey. And the Flaming Lips. Huh. It's a good soundtrack. Legitimately a good soundtrack. Don't remember Um, it. Kiss from a Rose. Yeah, I mean, everybody remembers that. Mm. And The Offspring. Um, Massive Attack as well. Oh, it's endless. Adam, it's endless. Picking that one week, are you? Hmm? Picking it one week? Maybe. Might be a fun one, actually. Um, but yeah, Baby, I'm a Star. It's, yeah, it's very up-tempo. It's a peppy number. But yeah, it's... The, the entire album sits on my shuffle playlist, apart from Baby, I'm a Star. Well, I, I think everybody, if, even in their, their kindest hearts, can see why. It's, it's a fun song, as I said. It's very danceable, but it, it doesn't doesn't have to be on Purple Rain. Yeah. It, it lacks the we, majesty of some of the other, well, all the others. We could survive, everyone, if we didn't have it. Let's be, let's be honest with no, ourselves, yeah? we do, but it's only nine songs. I don't object to it. I don't no, dislike no, it. No, not at all. No. I've listened to it as much as I have the rest. It's just, you know, if it wasn't here, I wouldn't miss it. But I'm, I'm also glad that, I'm glad that it is here. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely just my point. Is that I just wouldn't miss it if it wasn't here. But I enjoy it. I think right. that's fair enough. So we we come to the end of this wow. wonderful cinematic wow, wow, expedition. He's a friend. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. yeah he, he covered this. If anyway, probably better. Right, we're talking about songs which kept better songs off number one. Um has it a guess what kept this off top spot on the charts? Oh, I don't know. Was it 1984? Yes. Oh, give us a clue. Um, it, was a du- it was a duo where one of them did a bit more work than the other. Oh, so wham. Yeah, yeah, you go. <laughs> uh, oh, God, what type? So it wasn't the Christmas one? No. Was it Wake Me Up? Yes. Wake Me Up Before You ah! Fucking Go-Go kept purple sodding rain off the I top. I got the tuna bug. Can you imagine? Listen to radio. Purple rain ends. Purple rain finishes. And then, and now, number one. The tuna bug. <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck off, man. So you've experienced... <laughs> In many ways, probably like all of all of human the human emotional landscape has been laid bare for you in Purple Rain, and then I got the book. I got the book. Ridiculous. Ugh. Basically, wow. Prince managed to funnel all of Frank Zappa's output into one song in Purple yeah. Rain, whilst also keeping his regrettable tendency towards scatological humour. Well, I'd say eradicating it. I don't yes. think there's any knob gags in Purple Rain. No. 
So like, keeping all that sort of business on one side. Uh, yeah, and then you yeah, just get a dude hug. Let me the boom boom into my heart. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but it did go to number one in the UK and US iTunes charts after his death. Well done, everyone. And a, a weird little coda for the song is uh, it was the final song he performed live one week before he died. Oh, how, how curiously appropriate. Yeah, weirdly touching as well. He's got one of the great yowls as well. Was, yeah. You know when he goes, honey, I know, I know, I know, times are changing. Well, I mean, that's full-blown <laughs> blues. <laughs> times are changing. I mean, again, it, it's got intro, Pete, because you've got that, just that single guitar. Bit, bow, 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 bow. And then, but if you scoot ahead seven minutes... See, you can't sing the riff to Purple Road without saying a lot of Peter Brampton either. Wow. No, you were going for what? Wow. 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 That's the same. That's the same. <laughs> but if you scoot your head like seven wow. minutes, wow. think towards the end of the song. Again, you're on top of that mountain. That guitar there. Down, 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 down. And tell me, I know I made this point earlier, but tell me that Guns N' Roses weren't just attempting to do this when, when they did November Rain. I can imagine those chatting in the studio saying... I mean, they even nicked the second word of the title. Hmm. And they even like put Slash on top of a mountain or something, doesn't he, at one point? Or on top of a church or something? No, he's outside a church which looks markedly smaller than the inside of a church he was just in. Yeah, but it's not as good as Purple Rain. I mean, it's great. I love Purple November Rain. Is it as good as Purple Rain, though? It's not as good, but I will absolutely be bringing some... This is like your mealy-mouthed Andre 3000 defence. Mealy-mouthed, I'll tell you. So mealy. So mealy. It's a good thing I drunk all the throwing wine. (laughs) The sweeping, glorious strings as well in this. Oh, yeah. And again, towards the end of the song, there's... Like the descending keyboard sound, it almost sounds like the actual rain. That do 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 do, and even today I hear that used on songs now, and I instantly love those songs because it's like, oh, you're making me think of Purple Rain. I like it. There's also there's a saxophone in this that doesn't sound jarring and shit. I love a saxophone. Yeah, the saxophone. Its moment. Its moment in the sun has waned by 1984, though, hasn't it? Oh, not by no. I'd say it had a good five years left in it. A good it, five years, or was, five years? It was literally the stroke of midnight on 1989 into 1990. Every saxophonist was shot. Time's time, everyone. Cease thy parping. We had a good run, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I when I was doing the notes for this, I fascinated to read that this was originally written as a country song uh, to be a duet with Stevie Nicks. Yeah, but didn't Stevie Nicks say I'm so sorry, honey, I simply can't. Oh, I can't do it. I can't and I mustn't. No idea where she's from. No idea. Yeah, Prince sent her a 10-minute instrumental and apparently she felt overwhelmed and just literally went back to... Presumably because it was an unsolicited instrumental. (laughs) 
what the hell is this? Why is is Prince sending it to me? Heavens, y'all. I am apoplectic with Oh, mercy. I'm going to sip my mint julep and have a sit down. I have heard rumor and... Sir, there are brigands about. One cannot send an unsolicited instrumental to a lady. Yeah, Prince didn't like the lyrics he got back saying, there are brigands about. (laughs) (laughs) How can I sing that, baby? <laughs> Brigands um, about all of the all of these references to the plantation. I can't. I might keep that as an album title. Bring as Brigands abound. There are brigands abound. So yes. Uh, when when Stevie Nicks was um, indisposed, uh, he then played it to the revolution, and they started adding guitar and uh, basically removing the country element out of it and. Turning it into the ground. That's for the best. Monument it stands as now. But um, still lyrically, the the song actually covers the narrative of the film because it's about his reconciliation of relationship through the film. So it talks about his reconciliation with Apollonia um, coming to terms with his father, who is a... attempted suicide at this point and realizing he doesn't have to be the man his father is and also um, reconciling with the revolution themselves because in the film it's wendy and lisa who keep trying to play him this song saying hey we've we've made this cool little song he's like i don't want to hear that noise stop trying stop pushing it stop pushing on my genius you want to play this song and then he finally listens to it and goes oh actually that's pretty good and um, if you remember the video for the song which is playing in the club, he goes over and I think he kisses Lisa in a kind of like, thank you moment. And yeah, so it even, you know, it you don't have to listen so to So he gave away the, the writing of Purple Rain in the film whilst crucially Paisley Park Publishing retained an iron grip of the Purple Rain. Yeah. So yeah, but it, even though the song is so famous and everyone knows the lyrics to it, it actually still works narratively within the film, which is quite... A, uh, quite a spell to have pulled off. It's one hell of a gift he's got, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and this the version on the album is actually um, a live version recorded during a benefit concert at the Minnesota Dance Theatre on August 3rd, 1983. It's recorded using a, a mobile recording unit from Record Plant in New York City. Huh. It was also Wendy's first uh, live show with the band. Oh, no pressure, Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, didn't know that. Didn't know it was, like, recorded as live. Well, no, not as live. As Yeah, it's live. I mean, yeah, and just... Which may have helped his absolutely soaring vocals at the end, because that's... I think that's the main thing everyone remembers of the song. Is that, uh, 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 and just when you can create something that anthemic... Just mm. with with your voice alone, because everything around it—that's ultimately what the main thing you remember—is just his voice in that moment, yeah. just screaming from the top of that hill. The way the whole the whole piece builds, it's that. Da, 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 da. Yeah, down, down, down. Yeah, it's it has that very classic like starts very small, starts very starts getting slightly build a bit, very big, build to a massive thing. But you're right, in, in between everything, you got those like descending bass lines the piano and just oh yeah so a whole wall of sound going on here yeah i think you'd call it swooping it's terribly swooping yeah and and um 
apparently apart from the period where he changed his name to symbol uh, and all that it was pretty much a staple his live shows for his entire career well if you went to go and see him live and he didn't play it mm. you'd be i'd be furious you know the same way, say, Bowie wouldn't necessarily always put the oomph into, like, Heroes, for instance. He wouldn't put yeah. the oomph into because the, the vocals, darling, the vocals. He chords, literally couldn't. He, he, you know, if he did that every night on tour, it would just destroy his larynx. Do you think Prince put the same level of the, into the, uh, 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 uh. I mean, because, you know, he could go full-blown beautiful ones on that and just scream it. So it's the danger, isn't it, of putting something on record where you mm. really, really give it the big guns. Yeah. Um, yeah, when uh, Prince made Purple Rain, he played it to Journey keyboardist Jonathan Kane, fearing it sounded too similar to their song Faithfully, at which point Kane just listened to him. That's a banger. Proceed with absolute confidence. You, you're fine, pal. Don't but, worry about it. Tell you what, Prince, no one's going to remember Faithfully. Everyone <laughs> will remember Purple Rain. Good. As he looked sadly at his keyboard and then just closed the lid. <laughs> You're fine, Prince. Thanks ever so. <laughs> Thanks for checking in. Slid his keyboard in the case and never played again. As Prince just grinned at him and said, Thanks for your understanding. Could you sign here to stipulate that Paisley Park Publishing Paisley own all Park. of the risk? In my purple Parker. Hmm. I mean, this, what what do you say about Purple Rain other than it just sounds like lovers at, at the end of the world just dancing and hugging? I think you'd be hard-pushed to think of anything better than it sounds like lovers at the end of the world. Because that is what it sounds like. Yeah, it's just... Oh, it's just... It's magisterial. Yes, that is that's a good word for it, yeah. There's just... Very few songs exist like this. No, because very few artists have got a Purple Rain in them. Mm. But what was odd was um, it never felt like Prince tried to do it again. No, I mean, I, I don't know because I haven't heard other Prince albums, but I've never read anybody say, oh, here he goes again. Yeah, he never tried to do another Purple Rain sounding album. I suppose it's like Bowie never tried to do another Heroes, did he? I suppose you might say absolute beginners, but not really. Nah. Of course, of course it remains at the party. It shall forevermore. I think now it's, it's the album to beat at the party, really. Yeah, it's the album to beat at the party, and it explains why I'll be wearing a blouse at the party. I can dig it. And I, I can guarantee you now this will not be the last Prince album that appears on this podcast. I, and I'll take it with a thankful heart. I mean, very likely it'll be from the eighties. What comes? But, um... Hey, look, if we were going to pick Bowie albums, we'd be picking the seventies. Everybody had their, you know, their summer decade. Because I'm still uncertain whether I prefer Purple Rain or Around the World in a Day, which was the the immediate follow up to this. Oh, I mean, I'm half tempted to say, let's just do that next. <laughs> mm, could do. I mean, it's a very different sounding album, but a very good album nonetheless. It, I mean, is there a worse song on Purple Rain or is it? Yeah, is it just, a star. I mean, 
I mean, the sacrificial lamb of the song we can do without. It's Baby I'm a Star. Well, okay, what would, would be your top pick of the pop on it? And I think it would have to be When Doves Cry. I'm, I'm trying not to pick Purple Rain, mm. but I'm upset that I haven't picked Take Me With You. It's such a lovely song. Yeah, but I think it's a lovely song, but uh, When Doves Cry is a very special song. Oh, it is, absolutely. So it, it's tricky because I don't really want to I don't really want to choose any of them because I want to play the entire album in its entirety and listen to all of it. I can do. What about you? I'm very tempted to say When Doves Cry, but it's for me, it's a little bit of a case of I've been listening to When Doves Cry for so long. Mm. In my head, it feels like the obvious choice, which of course it is. I do, I just, for me, Beautiful Ones is like my song on it. I'm just like, I just, I fucking love that song. Because of all the histrionics. Yeah. But, I mean, of course, of course, When Doves Cry. Of course, but of course. But of course. Of course, Take Me With You. But for me, it's beautiful ones. Well, I mean, they're they're the best four songs. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, really. Um, So, yes, a triumphant party. A huge, huge triumph. I mean, looking at, at how long we've been recording, potentially our longest party as well. Yeah, and considering it's largely praise... Um, Apologies if it's been a bit boring to listen to. Yeah, but Two men gushing. What, a, what an album, Mike. I'm and so where, pleased you've enjoyed it as much as you have. Where has it been? Ah, good. Yeah. I'm, one, I'm, I'm annoyed that I have it. I'm, I'm pleased that you liked something I picked as much, but I'm also pleased that you... you Finally, come you found Prince. Shall we? Shall we spin that wheel to see yes. what? I mean, spin it. who it knows? Feels like whatever it is, or whoever it is, it's it's got a it's got it's a tricky act to follow. Really is. I mean, I pity I pity the fool who has to yeah follow this up. So, so let's it reveal the fool. <laughs> reveal the fool. <laughs> Well, who the hell is Michelle, Mike? Sorry, this is a falcon coming with an envelope here. Yes, 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 our, our friend Michelle. She she brings word of, uh, unfortunately, it's not Prince, though, Adam. Not going to lie to you. Um, she's let me down. She's let you, she's let herself down. Because what she doesn't seem to have realised is that all people really want is to listen to Prince. Are we going to have to do a, a short offshoot Prince podcast? <laughs> it's just, hi, everyone. Uh, you don't know us, but my friend Adam's just really got into Prince and he just wants to talk about it with enthusiasm. Uh, yeah, just one podcast. Very short. Really loving what I'm hearing. Um, <laughs> it's more, more of an address. Just to uh, keep you guys in the, in the frame. Big fan. Uh, he should have been. I, I, I think he was successful. Yeah, I think he was successful, and he had every right to be. So, God bless. <laughs> God bless. Yes, and Michelle would like to talk about. This is interesting. This isn't a band I'm familiar with. The Proto Men and their album Act Two, The Father of Death. Do we have to listen to Act One first? I mean, I hope not. Time's I, a factor. I, 
And also, it's not Prince, so... One would assume, for context... I've probably just read a synopsis. I mean, the album, the album we are, we are commanded to come speak about at the party next time is Act Two: The Father of Death by the Postman, a band I've I've never even heard of. So I'm actually no, I never have. Gotta I mean, say, the Proto Men is a great name for a band. It and is. Act Two: The Father of Death is a very strong title. It but suggests it to me isn't something by Prince. It suggests yes. Let's get off the Prince train for a minute, shall we? <laughs> No. Father of Death suggesting something a bit gothic-y. Uh, something synthy. You'd assume something vaguely heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's been a while since I listened to something I've not heard. You know, no, no. Well, I mean, it hasn't for me because Purple Rain was that. Um, I mean, I did listen to Joy of the Toy before, but I've never even heard of the Proto Men, so that's a, that's a new one on me. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I was familiar with Kevin Ayers. Yeah, familiar, but yeah, I really cemented your contempt, so that's something, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Right, well, yes, yeah, so join us next time with our special guest, Michelle, as we discuss Proto-Men Act 2, The Father of Death. The Father of Death. And if you would like to suggest anything for us to play at the party and discuss, you can find us on Facebook. We are on Instagram at Listening Party Pod. We're on Twitter at Party Listen. We're on email at thelisteningpartypod at gmail.com. And please do like and subscribe us on your podcast repository of choice. It would really help us and we really appreciate it. And I'm just going to, because we haven't done this yet, Adam, I'm just going to plug. We do have another podcast that we did do a while ago. Uh, it's, which shockingly, it's not quite as shit hot, you know, um, production skills as we are now. But uh, we spend thirty odd episodes talking about the works, the life, and times of uh, Mr. David Bowie. Thirty <laughs> odd episodes. Some of them, some of them approaching three hours in length. Yep. Some, <laughs> some a solid hour. Some of them approached three hours. It depended really on how much we were drinking that day. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot. We yeah. were a scrappy little underdog, Mike. I mean, some of it so unlistenable, everyone. I've deleted the first episode because yeah, it was yeah, bad. because we we couldn't live with ourselves. And, and, and for those of you who've come as a crossover, look in your feed. It's no longer there because I've removed it, everyone. It was a cancer. We're hoping to be able to sell it as a non-fungible token, though. <laughs> <laughs> ten grand. <laughs> Jack, ten grand. Well, until next time, my angels, uh, where we'll be discussing the Proto Men's Act 2, Father of Death, we will bid you an ooh! Ooh! Now, stop what you're doing and go and listen to Purple Rain. <laughs>